Morning Press from Cast Iron Brains, a BrainIron.com production. Here's 11 minutes or so of news for today, Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. At least 95 people were killed and hundreds more were wounded when two bombs exploded within 20 minutes of each other in the Iranian city of Kerman on Wednesday afternoon. Large crowds had gathered near the gravesite of the assassinated military leader Qasem Soleimani to participate in ceremonies in his honor on the fourth anniversary of his death by U.S. drone strike. Iranian officials are calling the bombings a terrorist attack, claiming that explosive devices were left by the side of the road that leads to Kerman's Martyrs Cemetery and detonated remotely, but no group has yet come forward to claim responsibility. The bombings are the deadliest such attack in the country since the 1979 Islamic Revolution. The city of Kerman, which is 500 miles or so southeast of capital city Tehran, has not experienced much in the way of terrorist violence in the past, though a stampede of thousands during the funeral procession for Soleimani, who is revered as a martyr by many Iranians, did kill 56 people and injure hundreds more in 2020. Japanese officials released a transcript of air and tarmac traffic control communications for the period of time before the deadly collision between a passenger jet and a Japanese Coast Guard plane on a runway yesterday. The transcript reveals that the commercial airliner had been given permission to land, but that no access to the runway had been granted to the Coast Guard plane, despite its captain's claims to the contrary. Reuters is further reporting that in addition to the pilot's apparent confusion, a notice had been posted before the accident that a strip of stoplights embedded in the tarmac designed to keep pilots from making a wrong turn was malfunctioning. Multiple investigations by Tokyo Police and the Japan Safety Transport Board are underway to determine what led to the accident. State Capitol buildings and other government offices in Connecticut, Georgia, Kentucky, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, and Montana were evacuated on Wednesday after a series of bomb threats were made, but no evidence of explosives or other dangers has been uncovered. The false threats follow a number of swatting incidents against prominent politicians across multiple states last week, though there is no direct evidence that the many different events are being coordinated. Willis Gibson, a 13-year-old from Oklahoma, is believed to have recently become the first person to ever beat the 1989 Nintendo version of the popular video game Tetris. Gibson posted video of the feat to his YouTube channel, wherein he advances so far into the game that the game crashes, something no other human player has ever achieved. Once a player advances past level 155 of the game, there are a number of opportunities for the game to freeze and crash due to limitations inherent to the game's coding and the relatively ancient Nintendo hardware. Until 2011, no one had even advanced past level 29 of Tetris on the NES, which was until that point believed to be the game's functional limit, until a player developed a method of hitting the game controller's buttons faster than the game's built-in speed limit would normally allow. There is a video explaining much of this history linked in the note for this show at brainiron.substack.com. 
Kim Davis, the Kentucky woman who rose to national prominence in the summer of 2015 when she refused, in her capacity as county clerk, to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples on personal religious grounds, has been ordered to pay more than $350,000 in damages and attorney's fees to one of the original couples she refused to serve. Davis's attorneys are expected to appeal the ruling. Davis was briefly jailed in 2015 for defying a federal court order to do her job, and Kentucky would eventually pass legislation that removed the name of all county clerks from state marriage licenses in an attempt to get around any personal hang-ups different clerks might have. A brief editorial aside, the Kim Davis saga is a near-perfect lens through which to have any attempt to understand American politics in the 21st century utterly confounded. In other words, it is the whole mess of the confused, contradictory culture war in microcosm. Kim Davis, a lifelong government stooge and nepotism hire, who earned two and a half times the median income of her county when she was elected to replace her mother as county clerk to stamp documents all day long, refused to do her job, and conservatives turned her into a modern folk hero. We are, in many ways, still living in the world that the summer of 2015 created. Updating a story briefly mentioned on yesterday's edition of the Morning Press, the New York Times currently has nine different stories about the resignation of Harvard University's president, clickable from its homepage. That's nine unique pieces published in just 24 hours. On this day in history, 503 years ago, January 3rd, 1521, Martin Luther was excommunicated from the Catholic Church by Pope Leo X, inadvertently setting the table for the Protestant Reformation, the Enlightenment, the American founding, and the end of history. The jury is out on whether or not this was a good move. Coincidentally, the website Britannica.com claims that on this date in 1962, Fidel Castro was excommunicated by Pope John XXIII, though no such record of Castro's excommunication seems to actually exist. Notable birthdays for January 3rd include two-time Super Bowl champion Eli Manning, Lord of the Rings author J.R.R. Tolkien, and What Women Want actor Mel Gibson. Jack Ruby, who assassinated John F. Kennedy's assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, died of a pulmonary embolism on this day in 1967. Now, here's a look at the weather. I was messing around in the New York Times archive, as I am wont to do, and came across the following. On January 2nd, 1899, a piece ran in the Times that told the story of Margaret McCabe, a 24-years-old woman who was taken in by a Mrs. Shannon, who took pity on McCabe in her, quote, hungry, ill, and penniless, end quote, condition. A few days later, Mrs. Shannon believed she'd witnessed McCabe's strange death in her bed, her body first going through a series of convulsions before falling back into bed and going rigid, but still strangely warm. After setting out to arrange for the younger woman's funeral, she returned home to find McCabe alive and sitting in a chair and telling a story about having visited spirits and the dead. A few days later, McCabe had yet another episode, and Shannon finally thought to involve a doctor. 
McCabe was eventually taken to a hospital where she was pronounced dead. Shortly before an autopsy was set to commence, Mrs. Shannon burst into the morgue, demanding that McCabe be given time to recover, that she was not dead, merely entranced again. Shannon only left after being assured that the corpse would not be cut open for examination until at least the next day. The article concludes ambiguously with the assertion that as of press time, neither Mrs. Shannon's conviction that McCabe was alive nor the doctor's insistence that McCabe was dead had yet to be proven out. Hoping for a follow-up, I searched the Times archive for more mentions of this Margaret McCabe and came up mostly empty. She doesn't appear to have been mentioned in the paper again. But my search did reveal an article from May 10th of 1959 about a schoolteacher named Margaret McCabe of Rochester, New York, who was spending her weekend commuting to her sister's place in the suburbs to care for a large herb garden, and an article from June of 1919 about another schoolteacher, also named Margaret McCabe, who lost $14,000 in an investment scam. But the most disturbing Margaret McCabe story of all was from January 3, 1893, when the Times reported that yet another Margaret McCabe was arrested following an incident in which she was witnessed swinging an infant around by its legs in a long half-circle and sending it flying through the air in the middle of a city street. The headline, Hurled the Baby 30 Feet. McCabe had been drinking heavily for some time, and for some unexplained reason, the infant was left in her care by its babysitter. The child did not survive the hurling, and the police were still looking for the babysitter when the story went to press. On the bright side, the prospects for being a Margaret McCabe only seemed to improve dramatically over time. From being an accused drunk baby murderer in 1893 to being possibly undead yourself to having a substantial portion of your life savings lost in a scam to growing herbs outside your sister's place in the burbs to, finally, in May of 1961, an engagement announcement. This is what happens when you search the New York Times archive for Margaret McCabe. Don't muck about in the New York Times archive, is what I'm saying. That's the weather from here. How's it look out your window? The Morning Press is a production of the BrainIron.com multinational media empire. Please direct comments and complaints to brainironpodcast at gmail.com or visit the website at brainiron.com. For a transcript of today's episode and links to the stories referenced, find The Morning Press at brainiron.substack.com, where, if you would like to support this and other endeavors of the brainiron.com media empire, you can also become a paying subscriber. Thanks, and barring the sudden onset of the inevitable, we'll talk to you tomorrow. The proceeding was created with 100% human content. <laughs>